Okay, welcome boys and girls, all ages, welcome to an episode of Under the Dome. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich. Uh, I'm here with my uh, partner, Mr. Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Man, I'm fantastic today. This is, uh, this is one that I have been, not that I don't normally look forward to these, these gigs, I really enjoy them, but uh, tonight is really, really special for me because uh, one of my all-time favorite guys to wear the black and gold is joining us tonight, and uh, he was a 1998 uh, first-round draft choice from San Diego State, uh, probably for most, uh, most Saints fans remembered as the flying helmets guy which we're gonna uh we're gonna wind up talking to him about i'm sure uh but there's so much more to this guy's story this he has one of the most fascinating stories i believe i've ever gotten into uh so without any further ado uh please help us welcome uh kyle turley thanks man for joining us how are you tonight i'm doing great man it's good to be with you well, we uh we thank you so much for being a part of our program. Uh, can I, I I'll, I'll get things started here. Uh, Kyle, in all of your playing days, have you ever ever seen anything as bizarre as the end of the New Orleans Saints game Sunday against Denver? Well, yeah, that's that's pretty relative. Uh, we played in a pretty unique era of the game, so. Um, I've seen some pretty bizarre things, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, no, not, you know, not bizarre, just, uh, you know, the whole rule change on that, uh, able to, the ability to, to score on that, you know, is, uh, the only yeah. thing that made it bizarre to me. Kyle, what's, what's your impression of the, uh, of the saints this year and what you've seen so far, how do you see this team? Uh, you know, I, they've got some great key pieces of the puzzle, but uh, it's, I think it's obvious that, that they let too many of the other good ones go. So uh, in trying to rebuild that, uh, you know, that takes a lot of commitment and you know, management and everything uh, being considered and, you know, where the states were and the value of players. I mean, I understand it, the parity of the league, et cetera, but, um, you know, I, I just wish there would be a bit more of a focus on, improving instead of you know trying to hold on and just stay the same you know what i mean because uh, it's not the same and I think right. every fan understands that and they see that uh and you know we've got drew but uh, uh we've got sean payton you know i mean these are great assets uh and some of the other people around the organization but they you know it's one one injury away from just all the wheels falling off and it's kind of uh frustrating as a saints fan to see that you know the team is kind of being treated as uh well we won a super bowl and we've you know had some success and like most other teams in the league they all do it the owners just kind of uh allow those teams to benefit them financially instead of uh really keeping them together for more i mean i experienced that firsthand um you know the year that uh i had the 
the biggest chance to go to the Super Bowl was after I got traded uh, to the Rams. And um, the irony of it is that I got traded to the Rams and then uh, Jake Delhomme got traded to the uh, Panthers. And uh, if we had kept that team and then they got rid of Chris Naoli, they got rid of Willie Rofe, they let that entire thing just dismantle. And we had a team that could have won a Super Bowl for you know, the organization, uh, you know, before, long before. Uh, but, and then they finally hit it, you know, it's a lottery kind of deal and you got to roll the dice, but uh, they, they did put some uh, attention on the bringing some uh, tremendous players to the organization. And now they're kind of not, you know, it's just kind of hanging on. How do we get Drew's contract done? You know, they let Jimmy Graham go. They let these great assets on defense go. And it's uh, frustrating to see that the team is kind of just being treated like it used to be. Right. Well, you know, you brought up some you brought up some good memories and some not so good memories. I I remember that 2002 <laughs> team. Um, you know, only having to win one more game and uh we lost those last three. I was at a couple of them. I was at the um both the Minnesota game and the uh, Carolina game when the crowd was chanting, "We want Jake." Uh, right. It was it was a, it was a really really <laughs> tough tough time and I'm a UL graduate. So, you know, I am, I am partial to Jake DeLum to begin with. Um, yeah, that was very – that was a very tough, tough team and tough time. But um, kind, Kyle, of, kind of following – oh, go ahead. Kyle, I talked, ahead, uh, I talked earlier today with someone that said they knew you quite well. <laughs> uh, and actually, he was uh, the very first guest that we had on our show when we started. Isn't uh, D. Scott Alexander? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he told me to tell you hello, first of all. And uh, one of his partners uh, is a guy that you should be relatively familiar with, I would assume. Uh, a certain uh, former running back named Deuce McAllister. Oh man, who's that? No, I'm just no. Deuce is my guy, man. Uh, we 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 had some uh, great players on the team. Deuce is definitely one of my guys, and uh, was an honor to block for him. Well, I can tell you uh, that Deuce did say that of all the guys that he played with, that you were probably one of his all-time favorites. So, well, likewise, man. Deuce was uh, one of those great players that uh, you had the opportunity to play with uh, throughout your career as a lineman, and um, you know they. Uh-oh. Oh, we lost him. Yeah, we did. Okay. Well, I know he was doing it through his phone, guys, and that's one of the reasons why it was just audio only. His phone, he might have lost the signal and it dropped out, so hopefully he popped right back in. Um, sure hope so. I'm going to – yeah, I, I want to ask him about, uh, you know, playing the offensive line when he comes back. And, you know, you guys that are watching, you know, we talk about Andres, Andres Pete a lot and the changes he's done and how he's been playing multiple positions. Well, I don't know if many people remember. I actually had to look this up to remind myself. Uh, when Kyle played his rookie year, he played guard, and then he moved to right tackle. And when Willie Rofe got injured in 2001, uh, we had Daryl Turnstile Terrell playing uh, left tackle. And because he nearly got Aaron Brooks killed in 2001, they moved Kyle to right to left tackle and brought in, I think, Spencer Falau uh, as the right tackle. So Kyle has played multiple positions on the offensive line, much like 
what we're doing in Andres Peace right now. And what I'd like to get from Kyle is to kind of get his impressions or his ideas about the difficulty in playing from the left side to the right side, uh, you know, because what we've seen so far, Pete's been playing left tackle these past two games, uh, past three games, actually, because um, the recurring knee problems that uh, Armstead's been having. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but actually Pete's been playing very well at left tackle, uh, especially did, did anyone remember hearing DeMarcus Ware make a, a tackle in the game? I don't recall DeMarcus Ware making a single stat. Uh, if he made a tackle, it was downfield. Um, I know he he got in one that, quarterback pressure. That's the, that's really yeah, about as much as that's I, that's trem- he, that was. I mean, that was like at the very beginning. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Uh, sure. I mean, we were sitting there worried that uh, Von Miller and Demarcus Ware were going to be the best two uh, pass rushes we faced all season. And here we are going in with, uh, you know, Streif, and we all know Streif is having a solid year. I mean, even by his uh, his standards, probably a very good year. And he's always had trouble with speed rushers, and he pretty much handled Von Miller. He, he carried him out to play. I watched him specifically near the end of the game when we're trying to score on that last drive. That should have been a game winner, but it wasn't. I watched Von Miller take off on those on those uh, that, those moves, and Streep just took him out the took him out the game, uh, took him out the play. Uh, so it was tremendous. Well, I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, going into the Denver game, my biggest fear, if you want to call it that, was that between Demarcus Ware and Von Miller, that Drew Brees was going to be a pinata. Yeah, um, and, and that's that's not a, a condemnation on our offensive line issues at all. It's just that those guys are just that good. Oh, Kyle's back. Good, good. You got uh, there, man. Yeah, we uh, oh. we've, we've been kind of stalling a little bit. <laughs> Hoping yeah, you're gonna come back. No, hey, no, I, no I, it wouldn't be a live podcast. We didn't have a technical glitch coming along the way, so <laughs> you're, yeah, you're fine. Right. You're yeah. fine. Kyle, what okay, do uh, Alan, Alan, if you would. Pick that up where you were. Yeah. Uh, a... Kyle, Kyle, one of the things we were talking about was I had to go back and look at this. I had forgotten about this. Um, when you came into the league, when you joined the Saints in 1998, they they initially put you in a guard at some point, and then they had you play right tackle, and then in 2002 moved you to left tackle once Willie Rove had moved on to Kansas City. Uh, right now, a lot of fans are – you know, looking at Andres Pete and watching him go through almost the same thing, where he was drafted to be the right tackle. He's been playing left tackle because Armstead's hurt, and he's also been playing right and left guard, and he's done very well at left guard. Um, what is it like for an offensive lineman to play all these different positions? You know, how hard is it to switch from the right side to the left side? Uh, it's tremendously difficult, uh, especially when you're trying to just make the transition to the speed of the game from college to the NFL. So, um, you know, changing up an entire position. I, you know, I played tackle in college the entire time, uh, right and left tackle. Uh, so I, I could go on 
either side. And, and um, you know, our system in college was uh, a pro-style system that uh, ran a strong side, weak side formation, you know, package. And um, so you know, we were a well-coached in college um, and I played uh, both sides. But uh, so it wasn't difficult for me personally um but the mechanics are you know much different uh, obviously you're used to doing one thing a certain way they don't, i mean and especially for me it was uh having to play guard i'd never played guard before so um that it, it can be a, a much more uh intense position because you're more inside in the trenches and um as an athlete it's easy for me to be out in space one of the you know being more of an athletic style tackle uh being out in space uh and working uh not having to worry so much about all of those linebackers too much uh and just really focus on those athletic defensive ends and just match up with them and play basketball that was you know guys like myself willie rope that just comes natural um you put us interior uh it's uh another story but i got a kind of a, a baptism by fire um you know in that uh the people in our conference at that time were the best in the league and so you know for me it was a uh, um i mean i had a, you know, ability i had the uh uh, you know, smarts and ways uh, to mm-hmm. be able to make that adjustment. Um, but it was an adjustment and making that adjustment as a rookie, um, you know, was a great test for me personally, which I think springboarded my career being, you know, so good early on and, and having success as a rookie, not being a bust um, because I had the chance to go against guys like Warren Sapp and guys that were still in the league, um, you know, like Chad Henning at the time and, all of these uh, uh, great defensive tackles, Tony Saragusa, and, um, you know, it, it was an interesting time in the National Football League of the transition of great players to, you know, the new era of bigger, faster, stronger, um, you know, because it was the late 90s. Um, and there was, uh, you know, we, I got to play against all these great players. You know, guys were still in the league at the time, uh, like Steve Young and Troy Aikman and all those guys. So it was, uh, uh, they put me next to two great individuals. I'll tell you that, though, um, that helped that transition uh, in a big way. And that was uh, Jerry Fontenot at center and Willie Rofe at tackle. Um, and then when the team needed me, um, you know, I started right tackle for four games as uh, injuries happened. Um, and then I started uh, a game uh, at left tackle and played that when Willie had to go get a, a knee surgery. So, um, you know, you do what you got to do. Uh, I, I prided myself on being an athlete. Well, you know, you were very impressive. Um, I, I just marveled at not only your speed, but your strength. Uh, you had a lot of natural strength, it seemed, uh, that you could really – even if the, uh, the opponent had gotten the leverage on you, you could still fight your way through and dominate that player. And that was, that was, and that's a rare gift for a lot of athletes. And uh, you seem to well, really. Well, that, that came from uh, my wrestling background. Um, you know, wrestling was a, uh, a key component to me having the success that I did as a football player. I started wrestling early on in seventh grade. And I tell, uh, you know, what we understand about football and the dangers of the game today uh, when, people ask me um, if I'm going to let my son play football and 
it just holds true still as to what I would have done, whether concussions were an issue or not. It's he has to be a dominant wrestler before he sees a football field, because I know the dangers of that sport, regardless of concussions. Uh, I had all the other injuries and, you know, blown right. out knees and all these other things. And all of those come into play on the field in football so much uh, as to your understanding of balance and uh, your body, how it works and movement against an opponent and nothing can prepare you more for football, um, especially in, in any position. I mean, some of the greatest positions, uh, even a wide receiver um, uh, that, that have ever played the game of football uh, period were state champion wrestlers, you know, from wide receivers to linebackers, some of the greatest players that ever played the game were like wrestlers. And for me, uh, that was what it was. I had strength and ability more so in understanding how to leverage myself because I always I wasn't the biggest guy all the time. I knew how to use leverage. And as far as strength was concerned, I just made sure that I worked hard enough in the weight room and ate right to continue to build that muscle because I was just inside a, a skinny surfer kid from California. <laughs> well, I don't think, I don't think that nearly enough credit is given. Uh, of course you came in kind of, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, I, you came along kind of towards the tail end of an era where you had to play. Uh, you, you either, dead or you were on the field and and i don't think that many people realize that you played five years in new orleans and you missed one start uh due to a if i if my research doesn't fail me here you had an ankle injury that caused you to miss one game as a saint that's right yeah my rookie year yeah dicka didn't yeah. want to play me uh and uh, he didn't feel we needed to – the irony of it is he didn't feel he needed to waste me against the Rams, <laughs> who I ended up playing for. <laughs> um, well, so horrible, well, Kyle, horrible at the time. Kyle, I, I want to ask you, uh, and before I, I get into this, uh, I participated in a, uh, a series of articles for Pro Football Spot, who I write for, uh, in the spring of this year, dealing with concussion, concussion injuries, uh, knee injuries, and what have you. And uh, I just, I just want to uh, preface this by saying, if I ask you anything that you, you'd prefer not to answer, that's that's fine with me. I, I, I completely understand that. But in, week, I'm pretty I sure believe... everybody knows you can ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> in week seven of the, I want to. Whichever, whichever year it was that you played for um, for the Rams, in week seven, you, you sustained a very, very serious concussion by taking a knee to the that back was, of the head. That was 2003, I believe, his first year with the Rams. That's right. Um, and uh, as I understand it, you were cleared to, to get back to work on Wednesday of the following week. Is, is that correct? Now, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting story, to say the least, uh, knowing the history of where things uh, were. Um, uh, at the time, you know, that was 2003, uh, so that was one year after uh, Bennett Omalu came to the National Football League and had all those meetings and everything that you saw in that movie Concussion with Will Smith. Sure. And, and um, three, you would have 
uh, that awareness about this disease would have uh, demanded more attention to these serious head injuries. And uh, it's a it's a pretty unique story as to how all of that unfolded. Um, edited with a, a concussion, they just weren't doing that back then. Um, and uh, you know, I, as a as a saint, uh, it's a kind of a uh, uh, an interesting story as well, because as I was, uh, you know, fully concussed, I got knocked unconscious and taken off the field and then uh, sat there and they wanted me to go back in. That happened on the last play of the third quarter. And um, then they took me right before the end of the game because they sat me on the sideline and just saw that I wasn't getting any better uh, and couldn't go back in the game at all. And uh, so then they took me to the locker room because they knew that I'd likely just sit out there on the bench and, uh, you know, not move until somebody did take me somewhere. Um, as messed up as I was, I don't remember much at all. And uh, they took me to the locker room, walked me to the shower, to my locker, got my pads off me, walked me to the shower. Um, you know, these are all not memories. These are people telling me all of these things that happened and uh, walked me back to the locker, uh, you know, helped me get my clothes out. The whole deal took me to a room where they brought my wife to me um, and then released me to my wife and said, here you go. Uh, just uh, if anything happens, just uh, give us a call, but just take him home. And um, my wife was terrified. Uh, and as we're, she's walking me down the hallway of the stadium there in uh, St. Louis, uh, we run into Joe Johnson, who got traded to the Packers. And um, mm -hmm. that's who we were playing at the time. And that was one of my only real memories, my only memories of – that exist for, you know, for that moment for probably six to eight hours was Marshall Falk's face uh, <laughs> coming, <laughs> you know, into frame and then Joe Johnson's face coming into frame, you know, and that's my two teammates from college and then uh, pros and then the NFL and my pivotal years in new Orleans there with uh, being with Joe and uh, Joe saw how messed up I was. And um, he was really, Really skipped. That would mean that's pretty serious uh, to scare a guy like Joe Johnson. And he told my wife uh, that he she should take me to the hospital right away. So even more terrified, my wife's just in this uh, you know situation here, having to deal with this. And uh, you know I'm 310 pounds, and she's trying to lug me around. And uh, you know I'm I'm punch drunk, completely punch drunk. Uh, uh, and, uh, we find a police officer that takes us to the hospital. You know, this is an NFL game, uh, to an NFL player. You just signed the $30 million contract to, um, and that was how I was treated. And I went to the hospital and they ran scans on my brain. And then the team very quickly came in to take over that situation. I'm um, sure they did. After the scans showed that I really had something going on and that uh, it wasn't bleeding, it wasn't swelling, uh, but that they discovered at that time this massive calloused brain and uh, that uh, my entire brain was starting to be taken over by this disease that we now know. And um, so the team quickly and, came and, in and, and that just... Would, uh, that would be the CTE, under, correctly? What's that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, what you were just uh, referring to, the, the taking over your brain, that was the CTE, correct? 
Yeah, that's what we now know uh, about it, and okay. that's what it okay. was, a big blurred mass around my brain, which is the cerebral sure. cortex being compromised by this protein that uh, everybody saw discovered in the movie with Will Smith, uh, and that is what's affecting our brains. That's what's affecting uh, Steve Gleason and his ALS, is that that has progressed to that level. That's what they just found in Kevin Turner uh, that played at Alabama. Um, you know, so anyways, uh, that was an interesting Saints little history story story uh, and that joe johnson uh you know those connections to the saints always keep coming back around um to help me in life uh, even to this day my teammates uh, uh from that team are still just the most connected people uh, from the game in my life uh and we all help each other and we're all connected it's really that's, interesting and uh, an awesome thing to see that's a great that's great to hear too that's that's probably the best Absolutely. part yeah now Kyle do you suffer from long-term effects from this uh, are you still going through blackouts or anything like that nope not anymore no I found the right medicine finally uh, to deal with this injury <laughs> and uh, unfortunately I was given just an unbelievable cocktail of pharmaceuticals to address it and it wasn't happening and um, wasn't getting better and it was uh, quite quite worse uh, uh in fact uh, every year and um uh, i still recognize the issues from it um but at the same time i uh, again i've found the the proper medicine to deal with this injury and it's been a night and day shift as uh this thing progresses because it is progressive uh, i i believe i possibly could be halting it um or slowing down the progression of it but uh for me in those dealing with it with pharmaceuticals it was progressing at a rapid rate and um you know not only just in my brain but my overall body and health was being affected because i i truly believe my nervous system wasn't having a chance at all uh against all these chemicals and that was from painkillers and muscle relaxers and anti-inflammatories and sleep aids and all these other things uh, that then also post-career and understanding the brain injury more after I had more episodes uh, post-career of vertigo and uh, was hospitalized uh, in and out of the ER a few times, uh, um, staying for three days once because I had a seizure, uh, had to get held down by four nurses in an MRI machine, you know, oh and then God. they find the brain disease again a second time uh, in Nashville post-career uh and so then the psych meds get uh, layered up on these things to try and address all this that's going on and all this neurological disruption uh and the reality is is that uh, cannabis marijuana the devil's lettuce <laughs> uh you know all of these things is what Free for madness is. Free for madness um well let me it's ask real it's true and i can't deny <sighs> it because i've found things in it that have address this issue uh, better than any psych medication I was ever given. And I was on Wellbutrin and Depakote and Zoloft and all these other zombie drugs that are being pushed in the community out there in the general public. It needs to stop. How many and if I understood correctly in my research, Kyle, um, you, as of, uh, I, let me, I'm checking my notes as I speak. As of 2015, you completely and totally, uh, walked away from prescription meds as uh in to uh i'm trying to think of how to say what i'm to go to go straight to cannabis yeah no not to go straight to it uh to give it its opportunity and its full opportunity to address these issues uh i I care about my health i care about my life 
And when I didn't I want to live I'm... it anymore, uh, while I have still lots of money and a beautiful wife and kids, mm-hmm. uh, it was quite concerning to me. And so I knew that I had to give this one thing that I knew helped through it all anyways, when those weren't doing their job. Uh, and I've never given it its full opportunity. I've always been on since 1996, a cocktail of pharmaceuticals disrupting right. what this could possibly do for me. And I never gave it its medicinal shot as well, because I didn't live in a state that allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me to understand it fully as to what's available and now being in California, I moved here, you know, three years ago is, uh, has given me that opportunity to know that, you know, it was true of what I found over the years of being in New Orleans and St. Louis and Kansas City and in Nashville, where you just get what you get um, and you deal with that. Uh, and you don't know what strain it is. You don't know where it's from. And now having the opportunity to have that available living in California has allowed me to be pharmaceutical free. And I deal with some of the most severe arthritis and sciatic nerve issues uh you know i mean you don't walk away from the game of football you limp away best and um you know i've had multiple surgeries i need multiple more and those things uh uh on the road much further these days than uh, where they were well, how many concussions? Just, just, uh, uh, just two years ago or a year and a half ago. And I have not taken one pill since, uh, not even an Aleve or aspirin or Advil. And I don't take uh, vitamins or supplements anymore. And I drink uh, maybe one protein shake a day after my workout. And I'm uh, <laughs> night and day different. My life is better. I'm out. I'm more active. I'm more motivated. Uh, and life is, uh, got unbelievable amounts of hope back in it for me. And my family is the one who continues to express that to me and how well I'm doing, uh, as opposed to, uh, where it was and, uh, looking at me and feeling sorry for me that, uh, this game broke my body so badly. Uh, the problem was, uh, that I was just given the wrong medications to deal with mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. in my research for getting getting ready for your uh, your sh- appearance on our show, Kyle, the the one thing that just kept leaping off the page at me was the incredible, uh, and, and as far as that goes, incredible is just an understatement. The price that you paid to quote unquote follow your dream, um, and as as I understand it, you've been uh, diagnosed with uh, CTE-like symptoms, as well as the early onset of Alzheimer's disease, and you've uh, you've dealt with a, a long issue of uh, seizure disorder. Is is all that correct? Correct. That's pretty much it, and. Uh... Lucky enough, I, I found uh, the right medicine to deal with those situations um, and to deal with this injury. And, um, well, you know, uh, we don't have to continue to have this game be dismantled because of these inherencies. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd pay that price all over again um, just to have gone back and as to how I would be today had right. I not been given some 
such poor with all of these ailments. Um, and that's the truth of it. Uh, you know, we wear these badges of uh, these scars and injuries as badges of honor uh, and that we played the game. It was an unbelievable accomplishment uh, that few had the opportunity to achieve. Uh, but at the same time, when you get away from it uh, and your quality of life is so poor physically and mentally, um, uh, all of that seems to be uh, an afterthought as to what's important to you in your life. Uh, and that shouldn't take place anymore. Uh, we shouldn't be choosing bullets over the Hall of Fame, um, you know, like my good friend Junior Seau. And uh, we shouldn't be losing guys like Steve Gleason as they fade out in these horrible diseases um, or my good friend that already lost his life, uh, Kevin Turner, um, and all the other individuals that uh, are very close. Uh, we relate to many of us that play this game. They are not these secular cases and rare cases that the league wants you to make you know, believe that that's how it is. These are all very close to us. <clears throat> This is a very close-knit family. There are only 25,000 retired NFL football players and 1,800 current NFL football players. This is a mm -hmm. very small community. And when you reach the level that we've reached, these are not secular stories. They're not just here and there chance deals. We know all of these stories very intimately. And we know their wives. And we know their children. And we know uh, their extended families. And uh, this has to stop. Well, well I Kyle, uh, I know of your uh, your involvement in what's uh, what's called the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund. Is there any way that uh, can you speak towards uh, just normal people like myself and Alan, for example? Is there any way that people can be involved in this movement to uh, to benefit the former NFL players? Um, sure. I mean, the, the charity takes donations, uh, 100%, and any assistance is uh, greatly appreciated. And people wouldn't believe the treatment of uh, some of the eras of football uh, that built this great game. And uh, we still, to this day, do not have uh, pre-93 players. That's one of the things that I still, uh, you know, bring up that nobody brings up, is that we have players of an era pre-93 an entire, um, I mean, multi, multiple classes of the NFL, multiple decades of the NFL that don't enjoy the same opportunities that benefits uh, that I do and that the players today enjoy. Um, and when you continue to have the game succeed as it is and the amounts of money being given to players um, and coaches, uh, you know, it, it's really a, a, something that needs to be addressed. And the Gridiron Greats has done that for over 10 years and trying to pick up those pieces um, and uh, just be there as that the NFL seems to care to really want to have. And the Players Association themselves, who's very guilty, um, our own union that doesn't, doesn't resolve these issues, then unfortunately the Gridiron Greats has to exist. It still has to exist. And they do tremendous work. Uh, you can go to gridirongrates.org uh, and check that out and get involved. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, you were talking a second ago about the uh, the players in the past, and there's no story that should affect anybody more than the story of Mike Webster, the Hall of Fame center for the Pittsburgh Steelers during his Super Bowl years in the 70s. Uh, he was probably or is probably one of the most famous cases of CTE uh, before they even had any idea what it was because of the multiple concussions he had. Uh, he was finding himself living homeless, living out of his car, uh, you know, Mood swings, bipolar type behavior, uh, alcoholism, you try and treat it with. So, absolutely. Uh, the, the players of the 70s, the players of the 60s, when the medical care was damn near barbaric compared to today, absolutely should be included in this. Um, well, that, that, how- that, that medical care, uh, you know, <laughs> went went, uh, went for a long time, you know. It, uh, Exactly. It went all the way until 2006 when the Gridiron Greats organization started. And Mike Dicka brought this to the attention of everyone and that we have a problem and that the way we are treating our players needs to change. And for a guy like Mike Dicka to say some things like that uh, should have kind of pretty much ended it right there. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't. And, uh, you know, Mike Webster's story still rings true today. Um, in many cases, and uh, you know, these suicides well, have not stopped, and these situations no. uh, have not stopped, and it all goes back to the medications given to deal with these injuries, especially dealing Absolutely. with our brain. Uh, and unless we address that, um, we're going to continue to have Mike Webster's. Uh, you know, we uh, the game is the game, and the injury is inherent. Uh, if we don't acknowledge that as such, then we're never going to resolve it. Uh, because we're not allowing uh, certain medicines to even be uh, uh, used that have shown unbelievable promise uh, because they are not considered, uh, well, more, more, the main reason is because they don't want to have the liability assumption by saying that uh, here's a medicine for a, a brain injury uh, that is occurring in this sport. They won't even allow uh, uh, cryotherapies to be included into uh, concussion uh, recovery protocols because they don't want to admit that the concussions come from football still. Um, they won't right. allow, you know, they, they still don't have the opportunity to uh, have hyperbaric treatments, oxygen therapies, all of the therapies and treatments and medicines that work for brain injury aren't even being prescribed to players after they have concussions uh, as it stands. Because by prescribing the medication, it admits liability. Or <laughs> it, it lends to liability. And, and so any player being concussed, uh, you know, we've got a kid out here on the Rams that's had a seizure, a first-round draft pick, uh, Robert Quinn. And this is in the news right now, not being paid enough attention to. And he's out of the hospital now. And everybody says, oh, he's going to be at practice and blah, blah, blah. This is a, uh, the epitome of health an NFL football player in his prime and he woke up having seizures uh, and we're not discussing this properly enough right now and uh, he's not I would dare say getting the right medication or uh, information for that matter from the team still to this day wow well Kyle uh, when I did when I participated in this uh, this series of articles in the spring they dealt with the CTE I was just blown away at some of the things I found I want to ask you point blank, uh, not to put you on the spot, but um, would you think it would be a a fair assessment that uh, in terms of 
the NFL and their stance on everything. They're building an empire over the bodies of the guys that built it. Well, they are. I mean, that's that's apparent, I think, to everyone. It's uh, very reminiscent of the gladiator days of old. Uh, they're throwing some, you know, treasures at the gladiators uh, in the form of, you know, quick money. And uh, although it be large, uh, I'm sorry, economies, you know, rise and fall. And um, <laughs> uh, that won't matter. Uh, what will matter is the player's health. And uh, as we and, you know, this is not to say stop playing the game. You know, I want the game to go back to how it used to be played. Uh, I would love to have sure. that happen because and we can have that happen if we acknowledge these injuries and address them. But we keep running from them. And then it makes everybody get all scared, like in, you know, like uh, Jaws, like uh, sharks in the wire. But trying to convince the people to go back out and, and they're not doing anything about the shark. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just out there. I think and, that's, uh, you know, that's, we, we, that's, that's a, a very good analogy. Absolutely. We're not, you know, we've got to start addressing the shark and the shark is concussions. It's a brain injury. We've seen it. It's apparent. It's been in uh, study after study now showing that it's in everybody's brain that plays football, period. Um, let's stop running from this. Let's start addressing this and being proactive. You know, still to this day, there's not one MRI machine in an NFL stadium. These are billion dollar stadiums wow. and not one uh a million dollar MRI machine is in an NFL stadium in America because they don't want to see the damage. They want to go in. There's an x-ray machine in every stadium. They want to see if something's broke. That's it. Everything else they can address through Tordal and all these other drugs that they're going to push into you. When you go in the locker room at halftime and you come back out and everybody goes, wow, Man, he could barely walk off the field, and he got carted off, and he just he ran out of the locker room again, <laughs> out of the tunnel, like it's the beginning of the game. You know, how did that happen? You, you know, these you put a bandaid on a headache. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what's going on, and it's got to stop. Man, players have to have guaranteed contracts, so these these uh, or lifetime medical benefits, to, so that there is sure. a vested interest on the behalf of the team to make sure these guys are taken care of. They can have longer careers if we address these injuries the way they're supposed to be addressed. And the teams will, you know, recuperate, recoup the investment that they put into the player as his career is longer and more extended. And likely if he's treated well, we'll negotiate with your team as that he sees that this is why do you think the Patriots do so well? And why do they keep so many guys that forfeit, uh, money in other places you think it's just because they want to stay there and win no it's because the way they run the entire program the entire organization absolutely is professional the players are treated with respect uh they are taken care of at the best and the highest level they're not treated as pawns or uh this you know meat grinder uh deal over and again uh you know that's uh, just too rampant in every other nfl right. football team yeah, Bobby Abia's favorite well, quote about that is from uh, the old Dallas Cowboys uh, general manager, uh, Tech Schramm. Uh, you know, you got we're the ranchers and you're all the cattle, and we can always get more cattle. So yep. that's that's the way the ownership looks at things. They do, and 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 you see what's going on with the Patriots because they don't buy into that, and they're not in on this whole deal with the other teams, and that's why they hate Tom Brady. Uh, cause he, he, he's not one of theirs and he doesn't do what they say. And 
uh, neither does Belichick and, you know, Kraft. And he understands that uh, it's important to have these great relationships with your players and your coaches and build this family. And uh, too many other teams just fail at doing that. It's all business. Well, I got to say, um, in my – I keep referring to this because I spent, I spent quite a bit of time researching you to, uh, to do this show. Uh, I wanted to do it justice. And one thing that uh, – it leaped off the page to me was, uh, first and foremost, like I mentioned earlier, the price that you paid to have that NFL career. But the, the second thing more – more than anything else was the interest and um, the effort that you've put forth in trying to, to help guys that play this game. And I think that's to be commended. I mean, uh, one example, just off the top of my head, um, I see that when you were a player, you donated a game check, uh, Probably, if truth be told, more than once, I, I don't have that. Uh, to this uh, this gridiron greats assistance fund, you get, you donate a game check to benefit this cause, and uh, the the effort that you've made and, and what have you to uh, to help these guys that I'm sure at one point in time you looked up to. I, I think that's that's beyond awesome, man. That's just, that's just incredible. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I I just felt it was my duty. Um, you know, I understood fully, um, what I was handed, uh, because I would have played the game for a dollar. I love football and I wanted to play in the NFL no matter what. And, um, uh, if that would have been a dollar, then that's what it would have been. They just had a cot in there up at uh, airline drive and I slept there and you know, that that's what it took. That's what it took. Uh, you know, this was a dream as a child to make it to the national football league. And I never took that for granted and where that came from. And when I got to uh, new Orleans airline drive, I'll never forget, uh, you know, some of these memories are just burned and seared into your brain. And that was Jerry Fontenot saying to me that uh, I made more in one day signing my name to a piece of paper before putting my finger in the dirt for the Saints or in the NFL than he made in 10 years. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, that was that was very humbling, you know, to me. Yeah, I was going to say, what did it make you humble? What did it make you humble? And um, I never wanted to ever have. Um, anyone say that I never gave everything to repay that on the field or off the field. And um, if you're going to talk about something, you better be about something. And I've Absolutely. never been one to just talk uh, uh, from no, you know, uh, not protecting at all. quarterbacks to uh, <laughs> you know, my other teammates, uh, which was my job or uh, my family, um, football and outside of it. Uh, that uh, and friends and just my in, entire family and and just human beings in general, uh, we're all here for uh, uh, you know a purpose. And if we're not being a part of the solution, then we're being a part of the problem. And I just truly believe in Absolutely. that. And that was always a part of me and my success was that I used it to help others and uh, never took for granted where it came from. I may have strayed throughout uh, the years and, uh, you know, uh, 
and the opportunities I've had to to make a big a bigger <laughs> difference than I, I have. Um, but I've always tried to uh, give back and and you know understand and and acknowledge the things that I've been blessed with. You know, I, I don't take these things for granted even now. And in uh, uh, the abilities that I still have, I, I don't take them. You know, I try not to take them for too much. I'm getting, I'm 41 now. So, I, so some days it's just like, ah, for oh, wow. what? you know, but uh, I still. Uh, if it you makes know, you feel any better, I don't even remember 41. Yeah. But, you know, uh, even, even well, out in public, uh, you know, uh, when people are begging for money and stuff and, you know, they're on hard times. It's not for me to judge. Uh, it's for me to help. You know, if I see a situation, I saw a guy today at the, I'm driving, I just took my wife to a nice lunch and I'm driving uh, out of the parking lot and some guy, uh, you know, just is digging through the, he's a kind of a, a young kid. He was on a bike and, a, you know, it's a weird kind of scene. A lot of drugs are bad and, you know, take people down wrong roads. He looked like he was a good, healthy young man, but he's in the trash. He's digging stuff out and he, uh, and he you know, he goes all both ways with me because I see things and I don't try to just get mad at you because the guy pulls the thing out, a big slurpee out of the trash and he's just looking for stuff to recycle. But he decides to throw the whole thing out into the public, into the street and buy everybody and stuff, you know, and it's like, you know, you, do you have any respect? You know, why can't you, you know, I, I have to stop personally and address a situation like that. That's just me and how I am. If I see somebody that needs help, uh, whether it's I'm going to give you money or I'm going to let you know that you're wrong and that you need to think about these things before you do them, because somebody else is going to have to come out and clean up your uh, mess out here that you've made, have some respect. You know, hard times come and go. These things, this is life. But we can all have respect for each other, and a lot more good things will happen. Oh, so what you're a saying segue. You're, but, you're not you're not averse to putting a foot in somebody's ass if they need it, right? Well, I, like I said, a guy he pulls a big old Slurpee out of the trash and he just throws the whole Slurpee uh, contents into the street at the in the parking lot in front of a bunch of people, and I just had to stop and say. You know, what is wrong with you? You know, can you not well, have some respect for everyone and for yourself? More importantly, you know, I, I have to, I can't yeah. help but uh, address it. And it's funny because, you know, people aren't used to that. I don't know if it's people's upbringing and it's just the old well, man coming well, out know, of me. But, uh, you know, I you don't know. know. Man, I, I've got I, neighbors that drive I, but, up and down the street a million miles an hour. And, you know, I, I have to stand out in the street, you know, sometime and, and, and now it doesn't happen anymore you know and everybody's cool and everybody gets along and they acknowledge that what i said is real and right and sorry you know i wasn't really paying attention to it and that i was using the street as my own personal racetrack you know <laughs> i had to have some big six foot five guy tell me that you know to get me to realize now i'm going to drive like a neighbor you know because it wasn't that i yell at the person <laughs> and say you know what the f is wrong with you and who you bleepity bleep it's why can't you act like a neighbor we are all here we can live together we have children why do you have to disrespect us by driving down the street 100 miles an hour can you not be a a, a neighbor please you know beg you i beg you oh no i need you i need skull you in drag them through the roses they'll get it yeah so i need you in the i need you in some of my neighborhoods um well what a perfect yeah. segue 
So I want to take you back then, of course, to the infamous Jets-Saints game from 2002, I believe. Um, November 4th, 2001. 2001. Okay, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> of being right. an enforcer. I, um, what do you – I, I have this, this date marked on my calendar. There you it's go. red-letter day. There you go. Okay. What do you remember about that whole incident? I mean, it's become legendary. You know, uh, I had to correct some people. They were thinking that you threw the helmet in the stands. Uh, I remember thinking at the time, I hope the player's head's still in it. <laughs> when you ripped it off, yeah, right. uh, it was a, it was truly probably uh, the red meat, are you not entertained kind of moment for Saints fans uh, of that era. Uh, take us through, you know, trying to, what were you thinking, what happened? What do you remember of that, of that game? No, I I don't, you know, I don't remember too much detail these days, but, uh, uh, you know, I, again, I I was doing my job and uh, running down the field to make that extra block. I saw, you know, Damian Robinson trying to rip Aaron Brooks head off and, and the pivotal moment uh, when you watch the video of the replay that's online, you know, still today, it's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of views, but uh, you can see clearly <laughs> something was seriously going wrong here where uh, Aaron was being abused. And for me, it was as I show up and I see this occurring, you know, things happen in slow motion in your mind, but they're very fast um, on the field. And, uh, in my mind, I, you know, it was just very slow motion as to this was bad. He was twisting his head around and, uh, and then Aaron let out a shriek that I'd never heard before, uh, on a football field, like, uh, unless somebody's getting their leg broke very slowly, um, or their foot twisted around in a pile. And, uh, you know, those are the shrieks that you'd never want to hear. And you know that they're bad when they, come out and uh, especially dealing with NFL football players and that's what happened and I just you know lost it because uh, he kept going and I was trying to knock his hand away off his face mask and he wouldn't let go and uh, so when Aaron shrieked uh, the way he did I just lost it and I was you know trying to rip that guy's face mask off and you know, uh, punch a hole in his face and um, throw his helmet down the field and uh, make him go get it, you know, and it just turned into a big <laughs> uh, melee brawl uh, <laughs> the century. And, uh, you know, right after the Diamondbacks won the World Series uh, and uh, they, everybody switched their TVs right over to that. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, introduction to the world, I guess, as offensive linemen, you don't get that. And, um, at least it happened to me doing the right thing. I wasn't, you know, uh, saying a racial slur. I wasn't beating my wife. I wasn't uh, kneeling you know, for the national drunk. anthem. I wasn't doing anything but trying to do my job, and I just took it a bit too far. Well, it. it, it I don't will... think you did at all. Well, it, you know, no, I mean, in pretty... the context of it, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I could well, I could have yeah. done without it. It was a real. You know, I, I didn't, as a young player, didn't understand at the time the rules um, and how what was going on, you know, at, literally at the moment, uh, how many rules I had broken. And, uh, <laughs> so I thought it was over. So I just kept adding more things on. You know, I thought I was at it. And the right. reality was finding out the most frustrating part of that scenario and situation was that they weren't going to throw me out of the game for that. And, that and, and they didn't throw me out of the game until – 
uh, I came out and threw the helmet and flipped off Paul Tagliabue, who was at the stadium that day for the game, because uh, I knew I was yeah. about to be fined a bunch of money and suspended, and probably nothing <laughs> would happen to the other guy that was trying to really hurt somebody <laughs> out there. And, um, you know, I was upset. But, know, you know, that was, like I said, the frustrating part about it was knowing that I wouldn't have been thrown out of the game because the referees uh, that were in charge of that game, the head referee, was a guy that went to San Diego State. Uh, he was uh, my old ref from college and uh, my buddy, and he was the <laughs> one that was on top of me that I thought was a Jets player trying to choke me, and he was trying to pull me off of him, and uh, they were going <laughs> to take care of me, and I, it would have been offsetting penalties, and uh, we wouldn't have uh, you know, had the bad field position you know, move back, which didn't allow us to tie the game and have a shot at winning in overtime. And so the extracurricular things in looking back were the throwing the helmet and flipping the bird and, uh, you know, to, to tag the boo and the, the Jets sideline. Um, you know, that, that was, that's the most frustrating part about it all is knowing that through all of that and the melee of the, the fight and me ripping this guy's head off, if I would have just stopped when I came out of the pile, we would have still been on the five or the three yard line, wherever Aaron got down to, uh, mm-hmm. and we would have punched it in and tied and uh, went on to overtime and hopefully won. You know. Well, if I think if you want to take any solace <laughs> from it, I think that is probably one of the most enjoyable losses for some Saints fans, just because of that <laughs> that what you did out there than uh, anything else. So you can in, at least. Take some uh, take some uh, solace in that, knowing that fans loved you for it. So, Kyle, well, you know, I, uh, if we would have won, it would have been awesome. <laughs> but uh, yes, there's always going to be that but in the story because we lost and it was unfortunate. You know, I mean, I had other incidents uh, where I was, you know, I mean, the week before we were in Carolina and uh, you know beat beat the Panthers or somebody. I think it was uh, I think it was Carolina. And uh, threw a bunch of stuff in the locker room and, you know, got the team fired up at halftime uh, when we were losing. We came out and just demolished everybody. And everybody said, I remember oh, that. We went nuts in the locker room and we I just came that. out and killed everybody. Uh, and so, you know, one week you're the hero, next week you're the GOAT. Yes, I remember that. I do remember that. Well, Kyle, I want to really uh, – Sean and I both want to really thank you for taking your time to, to talk to us and explain to us all the things that were going on with you. And, uh, absolutely. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? What? <laughs> what? You I, got something you had in my, in my preparations for this, I had to limit myself to only two questions about flying helmets. So, And due to time constraints, as FX1 says, I'm going to just change it to one. When you were – Kyle, when you were coming off the field, and I've watched this video a million times on YouTube, especially in the last week, uh, when you were trotting off the field after the helmet is thrown, after the uh, the gesture was made, uh, as you were getting almost to the sidelines, Jerry Fontenot stopped you. And if looks could kill, he would have died a slow and painful death right then. Do you remember what you said to him? <laughs> no, I, I was a complete <laughs> moment of blind rage. Uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, I, I, I didn't even remember who came around me. It didn't matter. It was just such a blur. It was like coming out of a mosh pit at a Slayer show. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it was just like, whatever, I'm going to the locker room. I'm kicked out of the game. 
uh, oh no, uh, you know, what, what did I do? Um, starting to sink in, uh, you know, but Jerry came over and other people were like, what's wrong with you? And, you know, what, what are you doing? And, uh, yeah, you know, it was football was the moment. It was, uh, very frustrating what well, happened. And, uh, you know, the way I, I, you, you find yourself well, it, in fight or flight situations and things happen. Uh, sometimes they're not the things you want to see happen, uh, whether you're drunk or you're sober. <laughs> All I know, Carlos, if I get if I get in a situation, I want to be next to you on your yeah, side. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> on your side. Yeah, I got that going for me, which is nice. Well, you you know, um, I felt, to be honest with you, Kyle, uh, in all seriousness, I felt that your involvement with not only the Gridiron Greats, but it uh, also the story that you had, uh, the price that you paid for your career, uh, all of that. I felt that that was probably the, the greater uh, greater story that needed to be told in, in this interview. Um, but what we do, <laughs> due, to, uh, due to the time getting away from us, so to speak, uh, we haven't even touched on the career that uh, you began – as your NFL career was winding down. Can you, uh, can you tell these people quickly um, a way that they can get in touch with uh, your, your new career? Uh, I don't really have a career. I'm not really a career guy. <laughs> um, I, I just try <laughs> to do the things that uh, keep coming to me in this life. You know, I'm a big uh um uh, advocate of uh searching for the path and trying to stay on it so there's a lot of things that have come uh into my frame and you know from music and uh being uh, a musician and touring and playing the music all over and opening up for all kinds of people and having that uh opportunity if you want to call a career to um you know understanding uh medicine and my body a bit more and health and exercise uh and all the things that uh, I'm involved with in that department to try and, uh, you know, help more people and, and uh, fix the things that I see wrong in the game and involvement with charities and uh, other uh, noble causes where people need help uh, that uh, continue to get attention, um, you know, from kids in youth football that uh, are affected uh, in these spinal situations um, and, uh, um, the death rate that we have, you know, a severe problem with to, to finding the right medicines and uh, how to live a better life and helping guys do so. Um, you know, this is just a, a continuation of that vision quest that was uh, set out on when I committed to play this game and realized I had an opportunity to accomplish that dream that I had when I was a kid of playing the National Football League and everything else that, uh, has stemmed from that commitment and dedication uh, that I learned from these great coaches uh, throughout my athletic career, from wrestling to football, um, just been very fortunate. Uh, and so my career is uh, my life. And uh, at the end of it, uh, hopefully um, uh, it will have been a great one. Well, well I got to tell you, uh, as I said uh, in the very beginning, Kyle, uh, I've seen a lot of stories coming through this, uh, doing this, following uh, the Saints and what have you, and easily, easily, probably one of the most uh, 
fascinating stories that I've come across as yours. And uh, I think you are to be commended uh, above and beyond for going above and beyond um, your commitment to not only the game, but preserving the integrity of the game. I, I think that's, uh, that's huge. And especially now at a time when integrity is not something that a lot of people have a, uh, have an understanding of. I, I think that, your standing for what you're standing for is is huge. Well, I uh, just try to do my part. I appreciate the acknowledgement. Uh, and again, it's just uh, uh, you're either here for, uh, you know, the solution or you're here for being a part of the problem. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help. Unfortunately, it's uh, sometimes a curse, but to try and be to be a part of the solution, even to a fault. Well, Kyle, Absolutely. we really appreciate you. We really appreciate you taking your time to come and talk Thank to us. Thank you, guys. Us. I appreciate the opportunity. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulties. Uh, we'll get it worked out next time. We'll follow up. No problem. We definitely want to bring Whoa. you back because you've got plenty of stories to tell. That's for sure. <laughs> My you man. Got you guys got a great show, man. Keep it up. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank so you, much. Kyle. Appreciate the time. And, and, and personally, uh, for my own uh, thing, I can tell you guys that when I started covering the Saints for Pro Football Spot uh, two or three years ago, this gentleman read one of my articles, and from that point on, he supported me, retweeted me. Uh, he he was absolutely great uh, in supporting what I was doing. And uh, Kyle, real quickly, is there any way any way? that people can follow you and your music, uh, your, your philanthropy, just whatever. Uh, you know, just, uh, again, I, I, <laughs> I keep getting into so many things, just Google Kyle Turley and try to keep up. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, I don't know. I've got a million things going on and, uh, you just, uh, trying to, trying to keep up with it all myself. Um, music's out there on YouTube and on, uh, it, uh, all the internet and everything, uh, with all the sites, uh, for sale. And, um, you know, uh, as far as that's concerned, the charity work, we went over that with the gridirongrates.org and, um, you know, there's a number of other charities though, that, uh, people can go to just, uh, you know, keep up and, uh, uh you know, it's a, it's such a, an interesting time we live in with uh, the information age that it is, um, as you know, and you can have an opportunity to uh, have a voice and people hear you um, guys experience that with the success of your show. So um, we'll see what uh, is in store. Uh, just uh, follow along. I don't, I don't know what I'll be doing. Maybe we'll be cleaning up uh, the mess uh, uh, politically. <laughs> what, what's going to happen here? I don't know. And uh, maybe right. I'll run for president next uh, next term. <laughs> it, there it, you it go. Get interesting. We'll see. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Kyle. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, guys. Yeah, you're right. Who that? All right. Who that, baby? Well, well, that was very I fun. I could not have. I oh man, that was I, very fun. We we we're well over on now though. Um, 
but that was well worth it. I hope everyone uh, comes back and watches that again and again because you really got a look at the inside of the NFL. Like I told you, uh, I think it was off off the air. Um, one of the stories that Bobby Abraham likes to tell was against Tampa Bay back in, I think, either 88 or 89, where um, he had a concussion. He was knocked out cold. They knocked out his front teeth. And um, John Forke had to come in. John Forke got injured. And they just gave Bear smelling salts and brought him back out there. And with Paul Boudreaux, the offensive line coach, basically telling the offensive line, I don't care if you hold on every play, don't let another person touch Bobby. And Bobby Bear couldn't call the plays. I think Eric Martin was helping call the plays. Uh, he doesn't remember any of the game. Uh, he doesn't know how he made the throws he made. And, you know, that dovetails perfectly in what Kyle was talking about, <laughs> just the way the league treated concussions, like just smell some smelling salt, you got your bell run, get back out there, yeah. go out there and play. And um, well, yeah, anyone, that's, that's what we're Anyone happening. that thinks that this is just sunshine and roses and, and uh, rainbows <clears throat> are under a fallacy, uh, there's, a, there's a dark side to it. Uh, there's a price to be paid for everything. And, That's um, why I don't complain about what any of these players make. I never complain about how much money they get because, um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of money. And you look at your own lifestyle and you think, okay, how, how much more money does someone like Drew Brees need? Well, you know what? Kyle is telling you some of the some of the players, especially the older players, they don't get anything. And uh, the medical bills after the injuries accumulate – uh, knee replacement surgeries, uh, shoulder injuries. Uh, then And then you get the CTEs uh, and be scarred and injured for life. Um, yeah. For something they played in their 20s for five to seven years maybe. So. Well, like I said, uh, in, in researching to do this interview with Kyle, the one thing that just kept on, kept, 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 kept coming to me was – the price that this man paid for his dream. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And if you looked at a list of his injuries over the years, it's, oh my God, it's unreal. But I I encourage you guys, if you have the opportunity, uh, well, if you don't have the opportunity, make the opportunity to, uh, to look this guy up and, uh, and follow his work. He's, he's a, a, a very just as talented a football player as he was, he's a talented musician as well. Owns his own record label Absolutely. in Nashville called Gridiron Records, and he's the the lead singer uh, and I believe rhythm guitarist for the Kyle Turley band. Yes, and it's not like he is just some cover band or something like that. I mean, he's open for Hank Williams the uh, Third. He's kind of a a, a Southern yeah. rock. country you know he used to play his country but more with a metal attitudes i guess that's the best way yeah. to put it but um we went way over to time be- today it, went- it was worth it yes it was i hope everybody enjoyed it um yeah uh, i hope everyone we look we've blown this thing up on twitter and, and on uh, social media over this last week Right. The last several days, because this was something that was very, very important to us. And it was it was billed as a, a huge show for us. And that's only because of the guy that you guys made it that way. 
we thank absolutely from the bottom of my heart. I thank Kyle Turley for making the time to uh, to be a part of our show. Uh, we're as soon as we can. Uh, we're going to have to bring him back, man. That, that was. And it was absolutely an awesome show. Yes, we have to thank Fan First Productions. Uh, follow us on iTunes. Follow us on our YouTube. I mean, our, yeah, our YouTube page, our Facebook page, our Twitter page. Follow us on social media. <laughs> um, you know, uh, post it, share, share this this interview with your friends. Um, and we're going to try and get some more former players or current players. Uh, well, we won't be able to get current players, former players to uh, kind of guest star. On the show, we'll see what we can pull out, uh, how many people want to talk to people like us. And uh, there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing more we can really say about the Broncos game that we haven't already said in various social media. Four turnovers will cost you a game every time. Uh, but yeah. it was probably the most painful part of it was that, you know, the way the game ended, you really thought, you know, maybe we pulled something out. It just didn't work that way. Now we have to play, speaking of player safety, we have to play a game on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers. Um, it's a and divisional for, game. For all, those, for all those people that are still debating with themselves or the Twitter community or whatever over whether or not the guy stepped out of bounds, get real close, look me in my eyes. I'm saying this like I have to say to my children. Look me in my eyes. Okay, I want you to understand it doesn't matter if he stepped out of bounds because this morning, tomorrow morning, and a year from now, it's going to say Denver Broncos W, New Orleans Saints L. It doesn't matter. It's time to move on to the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Uh, That's my extra point for this week. <laughs> well, I'm still mad about a touchdown pass that Jerry Rice did not get. He fumbled it before he crossed the goal line back in 1989. <laughs> I've got the video proof on YouTube. I can prove it. I saw it again. They showed it on the forward pass. A football life. They got an aerial view. You can see it happen. <laughs> and that's my extra point. Thank y'all, all, all y'all, for sticking with us. For the, we went 18 minutes over. Thank y'all for sticking with us. And uh, I hope, you know, who that? I hope we have a win. Uh, let's try and get to 500 again. And let's see if we can actually get over 500. Because once we play the Carolina Panthers, it's uh, it, we have a very winnable schedule. Uh, I think we're playing only two teams with winning records the rest of the way. So it's a very winnable schedule. So the season's not over. It would have been nice to get the win against Denver, but let's just move forward and keep going. Um, Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank you all again for showing up and watching. Uh, glad you all stuck with us. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday night. Enjoy the long weekend. Uh, after the Saints play on Thursday, you can actually watch the other games and not give a care and just – Hope the Falcons lose again and hope Tampa loses. So, anyway, good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you guys for watching.